Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week we have a listener request, The House and the Brain, from the series The Weird Circle, recommended to us by Jill. Thanks, Jill. The Weird Circle adapted famous creepy stories from the world of literature, including the works of Edgar Allan Poe, Samuel Johnson, Charles Dickens, Robert Louis Stevenson, Charlotte Bronte, and in this case, Edward Bulwer-Lytton. A 19th century writer and politician, Bulwer-Lytton is perhaps best remembered today as the source of common turns of phrase such as the pen is mightier than the sword and pursuit of the almighty dollar. His writing is also where the line, it was a dark and stormy night, comes from. Since 1983, the English Department of San Jose State University has held an annual Bulwer-Lytton fiction contest in which contestants are invited to compose the opening sentence of the worst of all possible novels in honor of the famous line. In case you're wondering, the phrase comes from the opening of Bulwer-Lytton's novel, Paul Clifford. It was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals, when it was checked by a violent gust of wind which swept up the street. For it is London that our scene lies, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scanty flame of the lamps that struggled against the darkness. Whew! Between 1943 and 1945, 78 episodes of The Weird Circle were recorded in the RCA studios in New York. The series is largely remembered for its distinctive introduction, in which the announcer calls for the bellkeeper to toll the bell to indicate that listeners had once again joined them in the titular loop. This was only the second episode of the series to be broadcast. From September 5th, 1943, this is The House and the Brain. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. We are met in this cave by the restless sea to reveal the horror in man's mind. Listen to the weird circle. discloses the horror in man's mind. This is a tale of the house and the brain. Come with me to London, through the heavy fog of the city to a large house in the suburbs. A young couple enter the portals of that house to attend an art auction. Well, hello, Jim. We've been looking all over for you. We've got quite a crowd here today. Paul Whitney, Sandra, I'm glad you've come. I thought you two were refugees from this sort of thing. Well, frankly, Jim, I've suddenly conceived a passion for good oil paintings, and I'm going to buy this fabulous painting of the ancient cutthroat. Well, to tell you the truth, Jim, she suddenly conceived a passion for cutthroats, ancient or otherwise. Oh, <laughs> my husband abuses me. I'm too nice to her, or she'd never be interested in any other man. But, darling, the man in the portrait's been dead 400 years. Dead or living, he's not beyond your charms. <laughs> but my husband loves me, Jim must be my fatal fascination. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't come here to talk with you, even if it is fun. I came here to see that oil painting. Oh, it's quite a painting. Yes, yeah, so we've heard. It's in my study. Come and take a look before the auction starts. Hmm? Now, don't fall in love with it, Sandy. No matter how you feel about 15th century reprobates, I'm not going to spend a fortune buying useless pictures. <laughs> well, there's the picture. What do you think? He has a face you'll never forget. And a reputation. Yes, sir, he lived a full life. You know, he was supposed to have been fabulously wealthy. But when he died, his fortune disappeared. Oh, my dumpling aunt. He looks like the kind of man who sticks pins in people for the devil of it. Sandra, the strangest thing about the picture is the man's eyes. You get the feeling that the eyes are alive. Yes, very definitely. Clever work. Paul, what's the matter with you, Sandra? 
I could have sworn I've... I've seen that man in London recently. What man? The one in the picture. What? <laughs> He's been dead 400 years. Stop snickering at me, Jim. I know what I've seen. Impossible. The only thing left of the Honorable Cutthroat Richards is the house on Orchard Street. He built it 450 years ago, and it's never been really habitable since. Why? Well, this is your chance to laugh at me. It's haunted. Haunted? Oh, not really. Really? Oh, Jim, Jim, I've never met a ghost. And you never will, Santa. Jim, oh, Jim, please, please, oh, please, imagine a really, truly ghost. <laughs> Wonderful, Jim. Take us over. Or, better yet, I'll rent the place for a week. I've heard a lot about ghosts, but I've never been able to pin one down. You know, I've been a student of the occult for a long time. Jim, 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 police! Oh, Sandra, I'm serious. It's dangerous business, this ghost hunting. Uh, please, fella, anything to get Sandra's mind off buying that picture. Very well, but you'll find some very real ghosts over there. The housekeeper, Mrs. Browning, will rent you a room if you want one. But she's the only person who's ever been able to stay in the old house. <laughs> Thanks, old man. Come along, Sandra. But the picture... Hang the picture, my sweet. I've got a genuine ghost for you. Doors open all by itself. There's no one there. Doors aren't supposed to open by themselves, Paul. What do you expect? The house is haunted, isn't it? Hmm. Doors slam by itself, too. Woo, tricky place, isn't it? You frightened? Not in the least. And it isn't my knees that are shaking, Pat. It's yours. Wonder where the housekeeper is. Her name's Mrs. Browning. Call her and see what happens. All right. Mrs. Browning. <gasps> Don't poke me, Paul. I didn't poke you. Well, I didn't poke myself. Oh, hey. I wonder if we're alone. Look behind me, Paul. If it's a ghost, I don't want to meet it quite yet. Silly, it's broad daylight. Anybody knows ghosts never appear until nightfall. Paul, Paul, look. It's the child's footprint right there in front of me, a wet footprint. Great heavens. No, another one. Looks like the footprint of a child who's taken a bath. Oh, my chubby, yeah. Listen. The footprints lead upstairs. Shall we follow? Well, it's the obvious thing to do. Ghastly cold in here, Sandy, isn't it? Ghostly cold at any rate. Uh-huh. You're not quite up to form, old girl. You sure you want to go through with this? No, I'm positive. Almost anyway. Sandy, the footprints, they disappear. Oh, maybe, it's, maybe it's all done with mirrors. Good afternoon. Do come in the sitting room. Oh, you must be Mrs. Browning. I'm Sandra Whitney, and this is my husband. How do you do? How do you do? Mr. Danvers told me you were coming. Won't you be seated? Thank you, Mrs. Browning. I hope my stepdaughter didn't frighten you. Your stepdaughter? Well, I didn't see anyone. Naturally. She's dead. You mean the footprints we saw? Yes, of course. Uh, you didn't see or hear anything else? No. Expecting anyone? Yes. They're coming for me shortly. My time is up, and I must die in the way they've planned it. They? Those who live in this house, Mrs. Whitney. Oh, come, Mrs. Browning, you don't really believe ghosts actually live here. Believe it? I know it. You see, Mr. Whitney, when I was first married 40 years ago, my husband, my stepdaughter, and myself moved into this house. They were here then. Why didn't you move out? Oh, we became used to them. Then my stepdaughter died. My husband had an unfortunate accident, and I was left alone. You've lived here alone ever since? Yes. Waiting for them to take me. Mrs. Browning, how much will you charge my wife and myself for an apartment here by the week? Charge? Nothing. Nothing at all. Anybody who has the courage to stay here is most welcome. But I advise you against it. Listen... What is it? Souls crying for release. Release from him. Oh, come, Mrs. Browning. You don't believe me? <laughs> you will when you move in. When can I expect you? Tonight at eight. How about it, Paul? That sounds jolly. You'll use the east wing. I'll have a fire lit for you. But let me warn you once again. They'll be waiting for you, day and night. 
Down, Blackie. Down, I say. Oh, if you keep squirming, I'll never get you on a leash. I'd better take some pistols along with us. Well, I'm not at all sure you can shoot a ghost, Paul. I'm not at all sure it is a ghost. Something awfully phony about all that. Oh, no. My intuition says there were ghosts in that house, darling, and I've a very perceptive intuition. So, uh, you're not going to take Blackie with you? Well, of course I am. He's a watchdog, isn't he? But a dog. Now, darling, remember how nicely he caught pheasant last year. But pheasant aren't the same thing as ghosts at all. Stuff and nonsense. You ready? All ready. Here's your coat, Tim. Oh, look out the window, Paul. So peaceful out there. You've always been partial to twilight. Oh, reminds me of the time you courted me. <laughs> it was such a nice time. Paul, that man, the one on the street. What man? The one standing right out there. Look at him. That's the same man whose portrait we saw at Jim Danvers' house today. Sandra, Sandra, where are you going? To talk to him, Pat. My chubby aunt. It is him. Oh, excuse me, sir. I couldn't help noticing you and... You noticed me? You are Mr. Richards, aren't you? I've been known to many by many names. Oh, dear, please pardon me if I'm rude, but... Well, how in the devil did you manage to stay alive for 400 years? You will notice my eyes. Look deep. Deep. Oh, let me go. Let me go. Deeply into my eyes. You've never seen me before. You don't know me. You can never remember me again. Walking, Sandra. I hope you're properly ashamed of yourself of approaching strange men and asking them silly questions. Well, I'm sorry, Paul. It was stupid of me, but anybody can be wrong. Well, of course they can, but on the face of it, it was silly. Expecting a man who was alive 400 years ago to be roaming around loose. It wasn't a matter of looseness, Pet. It was a matter of liveness. Now, now, come on. Stop being a husband and hold my arm. Well, to tear it off and beat you over the head with it. Mm, he's so virile. But I love him. <laughs> well, come along, Sandy. There's your haunted house ahead. We don't want to keep Mrs. Browning waiting. Or the ghost. <laughs> that door again. Insidious feeling doors opening and slamming. Mrs. Browning! Mrs. Browning! I'm in the east wing, Mr. Whitney, just lighting the fire. You better go on up. This hall's drafty. Hey, Paul, more than cold in here. It's almost as if something or somebody is draining your body of all warmth. That's a pleasant thought, Sandy. Now that you've scared yourself stiff, move. Well, I was just getting in the mood for ghosts. Where's the east wing? This way, Mrs. Whitney. Oh, hello, Mrs. Browning. Well, this room looks cheerful. It's as gay as my mood. Nice fire, nice candles. <laughs> quiet, quiet, Blackie. Don't scare somebody. <laughs> A dog scare somebody? Not tonight. They came tonight. What came tonight? You'll see. Better make yourselves at home while you can. Blackie, sit down. Over here, Blackie. Look at him, Paul. The hairs on his head are standing on end. Be quiet, Blackie. Blackie! Look! I told you they were here. A luminous mass. A blue mass. Sandy, be careful. It's materializing. Coming for me. I knew it. Coming for me. Oh, Mrs. Browning, Paul. Fingers are choking her. Good heavens. Mrs. Browning. How will stop this horrible Coming thing? Coming for me. Let me. Let me. It's horrible. It's all right, Sandra. It's all right, darling. Oh, it's, it's gone, hasn't it? Yes. It's gone. But Mrs. Browning... Dead. 
Chandler's, I'm going to reconstruct the scene of the crime. Nobody tells Detective Hodges that a flesh-and-blood woman gets bumped off by a ghost. But I saw it myself. Oh, be quiet, Blackie. If you'd only relax, Detective Hodges, and go away, we'd catch the ghost for you. Quiet! I'm only trying to help, but I... Blackie, stop! Sandra, you're only confusing the issue. Paul's right, Sandra. Sit down over here. Jim Danvers, if you side with Paul, I'll never speak to you. Now, Mr. Whitney, if you don't mind, we'll go over the details again. What happened? Well... Mrs. Whitney and I were here in this room with Mrs. Browning when a blue mass suddenly floated in the door. The lights in the fireplace dimmed, the candles were extinguished, and Mrs. Browning began to scream. Why? Because she saw a ghost. It's really all so simple. Sandra, my dear. And then what happened? The mass suddenly materialized, at least sufficiently, for us to see two hands. Two hands without a body. The hands reached out, grasped Mrs. Browning by the throat, and... That was that. Thank you, Mrs. Whitney. I suppose you expect me to believe that story? There's no reason for you to doubt Mr. Whitney's word, Detective Hodge. I'm not saying there is. But there was only three people in this room, and one of them is dead. Everybody's under arrest. Everybody, do you hear? Paul, Paul, it's here again. Look, Detective Hodge. Paul, Sandra. Oh, Paul, for heaven's sake. Well, what is it? An axe murderer in ectoplasm. Sandra, don't be funny. Let's get out of this house before it gets all of us. It's gone. Yes, it's gone. Now do you believe us, Detective Hodge? Yes. Yes, I, I believe you. I'll have Mrs. Browning's body removed to the morgue right away. Paul, if you insist on staying in this house overnight, I'll not be responsible for what happened. But, Jim, I'm convinced that there are no such things as ghosts. Now, now please, Jim, take Sandra back home and leave me. I'm not budging without you, Pat. Sandra, don't be foolish. Well, no matter what you two do, I'm not staying here. Oh, go, old fuzzy beard. Take thy tired body and deliver it to a safe, warm bed. Poor Jim. Scared of a little ghost. It's 11 p.m. already. Well, good night, Paul, Sandra. Nighty-night, Jim. What was that? You mean the footfalls? Yes, what is it? The housekeeper's dead stepdaughter. You see, it's all so simple. Good grief. Good night. <laughs> oh, we've been all through the house, Paul, and I'm dead tired. Come on, let's go to bed. You go to bed. I'll sit up and read these letters we found in the attic. Blackie, come here, come here. Now lie down next to me. There, poor Blackie, poor doggy. You don't like the ghosties, do you, Pat? Poor, poor Blackie. This letter's interesting. What is it? Evidently a letter from the housekeeper to her husband. A love letter. She talks about her brother's child. It seems her brother left his money to his daughter and she handled the estate for the child. Hmm, That's jolly. Maybe that's the child she calls her stepdaughter. Hmm. Let's see what it says. Listen. Since we have managed the child's end, you and I are more than lovers. We are partners in many things. Sounds as if they murdered the child. Yes, it does. Sandra, I wonder if my theory's right. If people felt strong passions, and if those passions linger in a house after the people have gone, couldn't that create a heavy psychic atmosphere? Well, those fingers that murdered Mrs. Browning were more than heavily psychic. Unhook the collar of my dress, Paul. Where will I put the letters down on the dressing table here? Just a top hook. Oh, better keep these pistols handy just in case. Something about a gun that gives me courage. Funny. Oh, it's midnight. I'm tired and nothing's funny. You know Mrs. Browning's sitting room? It seems to be an extra addition to this house. It, it juts out from the rest of the building like a sleeping porch. What's funny about that? Well, that horrible cold and the footfalls all seem to emanate from that room. Oh, you and your logical mind. Oh. What's the matter, Sandy? Oh, look. The fire's dimming. Oh. Just, oh. Just like a great black shadow standing in front of it. Give me my gun. Here, dear. Shh, Blackie, shh. Look, Sandy. A hand reaching out from the wall. The letters. It's got the letters. Great, Scott. Oh, my chubby hands. Watch it. It's the hand of, 
Of the housekeeper. How do you know? It's got the same ring on she had on this afternoon. If that's not a ghost, I've never seen one. The fire's going out, Sandra. Ah! Sandra! It's all around us! Sandra! Sandra! Your will against mine. My will is greater. No. Succumb, succumb. My will is greater. No, you're a shadow. And you are a mere mortal who knows no secrets beyond the veil. I control the world of shadows. Succumb, fool, succumb. No, no, go away. You're nothing but an image. You will die by my command in this house. You will die before morning. Admit my will. No, no, I will not admit your will. You're safe now on your own island. Just lie still, darling, and drink this. Oh, Paul. I was a fool to allow you to stay in that accursed place last night. I ought to have my head examined. I came over as soon as I got your message, Paul. Oh, come on in, Jim. Saunders recovering from a bit of a shock. Yes, I heard about it. I warned you, Paul, that house is definitely haunted. I'm going to board it up. It's completely useless. No, that's not the answer, Jim. It isn't ghosts. At least, not in the real sense of the word. Why, Paul, after what you went through, you say that? It's too malignant for a ghost. Do you believe in the power of hypnotism? Well, I've heard some amazing theories about it anyway. Well, I believe some power controls that house. Well, that's still ghosts. No, because the brain that controls the house is still alive. I'm convinced of it. Well, where do you think this man who controls the house is? He might be thousands of miles away. Remember you said that the eyes in the picture of the fabulous Richards seems alive. Oh, that's ridiculous. Not at all. In some crazy mad manner, Richards has kept himself alive all these 400 years. In some hypnotic way, he controls that house. Well, if your theory is right, how can we break his control? Well, I'm certain that his control emanates from the little sitting room which once belonged to Mrs. Browning. Yes. Now, if you'll let me, I'd like to hire workmen and tear that room off the rest of the house. Oh, but Paul... The room is only an extra addition, Jim. It can't do any harm to try Did you hurt yourself climbing that partition, Sandra? No. Oh, imagine a secret room down here, Paul, right beneath the sitting room. You see, Jim, Paul was right. That's like finding a box with a false bottom. That's all for now, boys. Uh, careful of your head, Sandra. This room isn't very big. But it's as cold as cold storage. Well, now you know how a hunk of beef feels in an icebox. That's gay. <laughs> a musty old room. Bed and four walls. And two drawers built into the wall over there. All modern conveniences. Uh, try to open them. They look rusty. Just pull. All right. There. The drawer's open. Oh, nothing but a lot of musty old clothes. Listen, Paul. Nothing unusual, Jim. Just the same footfalls we've been hearing all along. I'm beginning to become quite fond of them. Look. Here. It's a miniature painting. Yes, a painting of Mr. Richards. Look at it. The same face as that painting in my house. Look at the eyes in the miniature. Paul, they're alive. Great heavens. They're moving. You better put that portrait down, Paul. Yes, they are alive. Living matter in a painting. Oh, Paul, it's getting colder in here all the time. I feel faint, faint, and as if something unearthly is moving around. Open the next drawer, Paul. Hurry, I don't like this growing cold at all. Uh, it won't budge. No, the blasted thing. Oh, there it is. Why, Paul, there's a thin china saucer full of crystal liquid with a compass floating on it. That's a strange thing. Hmm. There's an inscription written in the drawer. What's it say? As this compass moves, so my will dominates everything within these four walls. Everything dead or alive. Accursed be the house and restless the dwellers therein. What's it mean? This is the brain, Sandra. Oh. Richards controls this instrument through hypnotism. He can control a piece of paper or a chair or even the souls of the dead. Then this house is haunted. Yes, haunted by a malicious, malignant will. It keeps a man's spirit roving restlessly after death. Paul, Paul, look. Look in that corner. Mr. Richards, you, you are alive. Yes, alive. Quite alive. Because I've will to live. Very clever deduction, Mr. Whitney. 
deduction? Yes, I heard your keen analysis of my activities. You are a hypnotist, then. I have been powerful for 400 years. Your blind stumbling onto my secret will not stop me now. I can will anything. I will the specters of the past to re-enter this room. In heaven's name, man, stop this. Oh, that black shadow is here with us, closing in. Yes, closing in. All those who have died in this house are my slaves, as you will be my slaves in a very few brief seconds. You are not the brain controlling this house. You gave that power to this compass. You transferred your power to this moving needle. Am I right, Mr. Richards? Put that compass down. Oh, no, I'll destroy it, Mr. Richards. Now, you're completely powerless to harm us. Watch out, Paul. This partition's going to crumble. Paul! Sandra! Gosh, Paul, it's good to be back in our own home. What happened to Mr. Richards when the petition collapsed, Jim? Well, the workmen searched the debris around the house for Mr. Richards' body, but no trace of him was found. I'm afraid that he escaped. Oh, no. You mean he's still alive and free, Jim? Yes, indeed. That's just what I mean. Well, he won't be for long, Sandra. People everywhere will be warned, and every corner of this earth will be looking for him. Even his will can't defy the world, Sandra. No one man can ever fight the world. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have recalled the house and the brain. Bellkeeper, toll the bell. That was The House and the Brain from The Weird Circle here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was a listener request coming to us from Jill, who wanted us to uh, listen to that. In the original uh, message she sent us, her email, she loves this or she wants well, us to... Jill, 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 Jill. Jill sent us The Hands of Death, I believe it was, oh, from yeah. the sealed book. And mm-hmm. Jill enjoys the absurd old-time radio. Uh, ah. And she mentioned specifically the joy of the woman exclaiming, chubby aunt over and over again <laughs> so yeah. th- so this is not a great old-time radio show uh in her estimation i don't believe but she really wanted to hear us attempt to unpack some of the content <laughs> oh good then i'm not gonna feel bad no jill is like the john waters of old-time radio she seems to <laughs> really appreciate the gloriously I'm sorry. Are you guys radio. about to say something bad about this episode that I loved like crazy? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Oh, man. Well, let's get on let's with get it and find out where then. Tim is wrong. <laughs> if you will indulge me for a, a minute or four. I can always edit it out. <laughs> so go ahead. <laughs> Let me just recap this. I think this deserves a recap. A man and a woman go to an auction of a painting. There's a painting they want to buy called The Cutthroat. However, they've never seen the painting, yet they want to buy it. Uh, So they're taken into a room to see it. The eyes in the painting, they look like they're alive. They're told by the man in the painting uh, is Cutthroat Richards, which (laughs) he used to be in the Stones, uh, (laughs) who died 400 years ago. His house still stands. It's nearby. She is convinced that she has seen the man in the painting in London, which is... Where they are? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But the accents lead us to believe they are not in London. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter because her having seen that man before in her life has no bearing ever again in the story. Anyway, nobody has lived in Cutthroat's house for 100 years because it's haunted. However, there's a housekeeper who lives there. The man and woman decide to go see the haunted house because they want to see ghosts. They get there and the doors open and shut by themselves. She gets poked by something. There are footsteps in the dust. They follow the footsteps. They meet the housekeeper, Mrs. Browning, and informs them that the footsteps are her dead stepdaughter. And they've come on the night when the ghosts of the house are coming to kill her. So 
Good timing. She tells him that her family moved in 40 years ago. The stepdaughter died. Husband died because of the ghost. She stayed because she's waiting for the ghost to kill her. And the men, the woman immediately make plans to move in. And they ask what the rent would be weekly. They make plans to move in that evening. Apparently, they don't own a lot of stuff. They go back home. They pack up. They get guns and a dog. (laughs) The woman sees the man from the painting standing on the street. At that moment, she goes inside and talk with him. He puts her under a spell. She goes back to the man. The spell part of the story is summarily discarded. They move in and hang out with Mrs. Browning until the ghosts come and snap Mrs. Browning's neck. Neither of them is frightened by any of this at all. The cops come. They try to tell him they didn't kill her. The ghost did. The cop doesn't believe him until the ghost appears. Uh, this time it's an axe murderer. Uh, the cop now believes him and lets them go because it's obviously a ghost killing. The man still is not convinced it's a ghost, even though he's seen it, and the woman and the cop believe it to be ghosts, but he doesn't believe in ghosts, so he's going to go stay overnight and prove it. The cop decides them staying in the house of a murder scene before the scene has been processed is okay. The night goes on, and they don't see anything, but they find letters in the attic from Mrs. Browning's husband to Mrs. Browning the st- that state that, in fact, uh, they worked as partners to kill the stepchild. Interesting. But, you know, let's move on because who cares that they work together to kill the stepchild. Then they see a ghost in front of the fireplace who finally scares the woman, makes her scream. He says they must succumb to his will, but they don't. They go back and talk to the art dealer who says he told them so. The man convinces the art dealer to remove the addition in the house because he feels like everything spooky comes from that room. The art dealer agrees because somehow he owns the house (laughs) and has the right to grant that permission. They go back and within a few minutes, they remove that addition of the house and discover room beneath it in that room there is a tinier portrait of the, from the part of the beginning of the story of cutthroat richards however in this tiny version the eyes don't look real they are real and it's moving but that's not important so they set the painting down and just move on now they keep looking through the secret room and they find a saucer with water in it and a compass floating atop now somehow it all comes together for the man (laughs) somehow it all makes sense see cutthroat controls what happens in the house by hypnotism and no matter where he is on the planet he can make things happen in the house he can do this because of the floating compass in the secret room beneath the addition this works because it's well so it's a thing that allows him to control what goes on in the house it's all you need to know because he lives forever he cannot die he's been alive for 400 years and he's mad about something so he cursed the house and all that goes on in it because 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 he can and then they break the compass and the walls fall down and then moments later the man and the woman are back in the home and they ask their dealer what happened to cutthroat and he tells them that he wasn't found so therefore he's still alive and they vow to warn every single person on the planet <laughs> that's this story Rudolph's shiny new year has a more cohesive plot (laughs) than this. Actually, you made it sound a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) This is so convoluted. It goes so many directions and never expands or finishes where it's going. Well, I think you have to back up and try to figure out what the authorial intent is. And that's where I was at. Is this meant as comedy to be like a... Nick and Nora solve ghost murders at the How beginning. How am I supposed to know that's a comedy? All I know is that this is from the well, intro of this weird circle. I'm not saying definitively it is. That's what I decided as I listened. I just it. thought it was written terribly. I think it's still written poorly, but I'm just trying to figure out how to judge it. I, I made <laughs> no attempt to try to follow the, air quotes, logic of what's going on. Uh, at the very top, it has this great fast-paced patter dialogue, which is fun and sometimes funny, uh, and the speed at which it goes kept me delighted. Yeah, it does go fast. It's never boring. The transmission dropping shifts and like, oh, I'm so happy. I'm giddy to see a ghost. Oh, my God, there's a ghost. Okay, I'm back. I'm fine. It's The moods just are all over the place. I, I, yeah, I don't think it ever asks you to take it very seriously. No. But I don't, also don't think it's a parody. Uh, it's just kind of cramming this uh, Nick and Nora style into an adaptation of what's a very, very old-fashioned haunted house kind of story. It just seemed like they added so much to this story that you did start to lose track of even what was going on, well, as Eric said in the... I loved in the in the hypnosis that they have this high voice singing in the background that I could sort of make out what's being said. I think that was one of the most effective parts of it. That they had the lady laughing as a transition element between scenes. That was so confusing to me. You liked it. You liked the lady yeah, because laughing because at that point it was 
it's like making a salad out of everything in your kitchen. <laughs> I think you're right. Which is terrible. <laughs> that would be it's terrible. not good to eat, but it's so fun to do. That's just throwing it in the garbage. <laughs> this is a rare podcast in which I think I'm Tim. I think I'm going to bridge the gap between <laughs> you two. Is it like I think it is highly entertaining in lots of separate parts. By accident? Um, but, but assembling them as a whole, it's a terrific mess of not just plot, but of intention. And I'm a fan of tone shifts in a any type of entertainment. I think that makes it interesting. But the tonal shifts added more confusion than fascination to me. And then at the at the very end, Madcap, oh, the person died. Oh, he's out in the world now. We must tell everyone about this. He cannot survive. The will of an individual cannot survive against the globe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Submit to society. <laughs> what? It did feel like about 12 people wrote this. Like, they could <laughs> talking to each other. Yeah, and just contributed <laughs> exactly. a couple pages each. And so because of that, you have some really great bits of dialogue, I think, and some genuinely funny dialogue and some clunkers. I love when the detective says, everyone's under arrest. Everybody. <laughs> I did like the line that she loves 15th century retrobates. Yes. <laughs> Just, That's her hobby. Yeah. <laughs> and as Tim pointed out, that eerie high-pitched chanting that comes under Cutthroat Richard's hypnotism. For is what reason? He didn't hypnotize her to do anything. <laughs> I'm talking about it as a radio device, not <laughs> sure. whether it makes sense. I'm sure. totally giving in to Eric's opinion that this makes no sense. There's no okay. real narrative reason for anything to happen. Uh, <laughs> Thank but, you. <laughs> but as a device for uh, suggesting something supernatural or beyond comprehension is happening, it's really effective. And I actually think it's effective that you can't quite make it out. You can hear yeah. I think at one point I thought I heard the phrase, the power of death or something like that. And it was like... That makes it extra creepy. I think the wet footprints that come and go of a child, creepy mm -hmm. stuff. But then sure. they're, they're making all these witty banter in, in, in sometimes between Sometimes they it. care, yeah. sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> and in terms of the, the dead stepdaughter doesn't have anything to do with anything. And who is Cutthroat Richards? And why is he there? And why is he... The idea is... What is happening? To undercut my own... Like, I don't care what's happening. There is a sort of thing happening. And the idea was that Cutthroat Richards was this guy who, through hypnosis, supernatural means, whatever, infected this whole house. And anyone who died in the house was under his control. Why? Because he has a sponge and a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it's a compass. Compass. In a compass. ditch. Sorry. No, a sponge in a bottle is much scarier. <laughs> no, I actually really like the compass in the dish of water is in, I mean, again, it doesn't really work in this story, but <laughs> why again, are you it's, working it's a, it's so a, hard but to it's defend a frightening this? Image. I'm not defending it. I Part of what fascinated me about it is how many successful standalone images and pieces are in here, yet it does nothing to save how many story. All of the standalone images that are cool in the world are in this story. <laughs> all of them. It is. It's about 900 thoughts of wouldn't it be cool? If. if. And I will also confess, I came into this knowing it's the Weird Circle, and we have often said of the Weird Circle, like, that was kind of close. That was almost a thing I liked. Mm -hmm. When I started liking right at the top, like, all right, I'm in. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> I've never heard anything from the Weird Circle, though, like this. I've never <laughs> yeah, heard either. anything even remotely is... comedic. I mean, this is Scooby-Doo-ish. I mean, honestly. <laughs> no. Right? Scooby-Doo was linear. <laughs> <laughs> this is linear. Everything happens It's Scooby-Doo-ish on its mom's side. Yeah. <laughs> this is such a, a peek into what makes the three of us different human beings in general. Tim, the, just so you know, this is Tim. This is how Tim lives his life. Awesome. <laughs> everything everything to Tim is okay. You can't rattle Tim. You can't get him mad. You can't get... When Tim directs me in theater shows, I say, should I do this? He doesn't say, no, don't do that, or that would be bad, or, or even doesn't even say, that's a good idea. Tim says, well, I certainly can't stop you. <laughs> that's how Tim directs. Well, I certainly can't... And me, I'm just really easily frustrated with nonsense. Like... 
Like, you know, this is nonsense. I will give you that. And Joshua is doing what Joshua does, making everybody happy. <laughs> no. <laughs> make us happy, Joshua. I can't make you happy. I can't stop you from me making you happy. <laughs> On top of everything else, it is the worst dog barking impression I've ever heard. In my and life. there's a lot of it. And there's so things. much of it. Maybe that's why I thought of Scooby-Doo. If, <laughs> if he would have been doing that, it would have been better. <laughs> Here comes Stepchild. Also, I all these plot, again, airport plot elements that come in, I was perfectly happy to let them go. Like, the Stepchild comes up. Oh, she might have killed her Stepchild. Never comes up again? Fine. Don't need it. Don't care. <laughs> And that's where you and I are such different human beings. Wait, go back. That's what I keep saying. Go back. Why is she hypnotized? I have to go back and argue a little more fervently that I think 100% this is meant until the very end as comedic. I mean, there are just such broad comic exchanges going on here. Like when the police leave and he hears the footfalls and the cop goes, what's that? Oh, the housekeeper's dead stepdaughter. You see, it's all so simple. And he's like, good night. And he basically goes, yeah, and he runs right. out the door. Like, And there, again, as Tim mentioned, they play it. Oh, it's no big deal. It's a dead girl. Um, and then something changes in the tone. And I think that's where it's actually at its least successful is those last like five minutes when it's so earnest about the cutthroat guy who is clearly a ghost but they're convinced is really just a hypnotist which they don't Who's even understand hypnotism right. that's an immortal <laughs> hypnotist who has he, control over ghosts right he's a highlander of hypnotists <laughs> <laughs> he's, been, he's not dead he's just been alive a long time i do like that the entire reason for this story is that paul is too cheap to buy her a painting <laughs> Just keep her talking about this haunted house. I don't want to pay for that painting. <laughs> and it's the whole reason they go stay in the house. Stay in the house? They're moving in. Yeah. Ah, I like the <laughs> completely unwieldy intro into this story, too, of not just, oh, there's a haunted house. I have questions about this. Or for some reason, I'm here under false pretenses. No, it's a, I'm going to buy a painting. The painting of a guy who owned a house that it's so out of the way. And they try to come back to it by finding the painting with the living the eyes or something in the room that was creepy. They're going to an auction to buy a painting that they've never seen before. <laughs> Do you think his name at birth was Cutthroat? Is that <laughs> a given it's name? A, it's a it was probably like high school, thing, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> cool. This is a football name. <laughs> <laughs> he can't run, but he is good with a knife. There's not even a backstory. <laughs> It's not even a backstory on Cutthroat, like what he did or why he's evil. He was a pirate of some kind. Like he was? by a Cutthroat, right? Don't they say that? Or am I just going with the term Cutthroat? I, mean, I never heard the piracy. word pirate once. <laughs> Mainly because I was probably... Angry? Angry. Too angry to hear. You have you go deaf when you get too angry. <laughs> I can't hear the word pirate when I get this angry. <laughs> Uh, I keep going through this whole list of things like, what's this? What's that? But you guys have already addressed it. It doesn't matter. We start to plot. We go down a path. And then we abruptly stop going down that path. And we go down a different path. That's not only what the intent of this is, as I listen to you guys, that it was written that way on purpose. And the comedy is, hey, we're going to lead you down a path of a plot and then just abruptly not have that mean anything. seems like they didn't have faith in it purely being a lighthearted story. All the comedic elements are added. There's nothing comedic about the original short story. Right. It's a very typical uh, Victorian ghost story, a little atypical in that it kind of melds Victorian detective stuff in with the ghost story. Um, but there's no husband and wife. It's just an English gentleman yeah. and his servant, exactly. And it, it has a, a very typical of this era of ghost story, a really open-ended, vague ending they don't encounter an evil entity at the end. They just find these mysterious things, including a compass with weird astrological symbols floating in the water. And it's just left like weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they went out this of their like... way to turn this story into something else, which makes me think it, like I said, back to the argument of it's just a comedy that they lost faith in and tried to make uh, into a very typical adventure horror story in the last couple minutes of it. This is how I feel watching almost every show on Adult Swim. 
almost every one. Random and non sequiturs. Yeah. And, yeah. Took me a long time to figure out Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and then I realized <laughs> it was funny. But that's an aesthetic. Here, I think it's uh, people who don't usually write this style based on the other weird circles, and maybe this is why they never tried it again. <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend to our listeners the original story. I found an audiobook of it on YouTube, and it's only like an hour long if you wanted to revisit and compare and contrast. Is it good? I like it. Right. But I would love to perform this script as is <laughs> <laughs> and just totally embrace the comedy. As long as that would we be could, fun. As long as we could, on stage, put a Greek chorus into it. In other words, just two people who they could look at, the audience could look at, who were on stage with us with confused looks on their face. <laughs> <laughs> and then booing. I know it's how I started this discussion, but I will say it is all about intent. I think you could perform this script and just make the intent through performance much clearer, invite the audience to step into the absurdity with right. you. Or, Tim is always willing. He's already there before he's been asked. He's really <laughs> rude that way. He's like, I'll join well, the absurdity. <laughs> at the very top, there'll be like a moment of what is happening? And if I hit them like three times in a row really quick, like, oh, I get it. I'm not going to find out what's happening. <laughs> You're like, I, and that's, oh, buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> and that's my failure is like, I just start. I don't know. I call it your failure. <laughs> I screamed at this like the guy screamed at the dog. Quiet. <laughs> and he yells quiet at his dog. That is me with my dog, as you guys know, all day. <laughs> Shut up. I related uh, to that. I like that part of it. <laughs> Yeah, this is mostly a story about yelling at a dog, I think, is... Yeah. Mm. I guess we can vote. Really? I think everyone's going to be really surprised by our various opinions, but let's vote. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes and in caps, you know. <laughs> Dear is, Weird Circle. Right. <laughs> you know, sometimes, like, I just surmise a piece in a sentence, six words or less. I wrote, what is the point of this? <laughs> I cannot make heads nor tails. Um, I can't tell you how much I hated it. That's my vote. It doesn't stand the test of time and doesn't uh, hold me. The, there's no connection to the characters. There's no investment. Uh, Sandra doesn't care is the only character plot development in the entire thing. She doesn't care um, because she has a thing for 15th century uh, retrobates. Um, As we all do. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, not my deal. Uh, I don't think it's not a classic. I don't think it stands the test of time, but it is a very noteworthy and fun thing to listen to. For me, uh, her performance in particular, her, mm -hmm. her skill with farce, that patter pace, I thought really helped me get into this. And also just some of the production elements of that hypnotic voice. Okay, that. Just that one. Uh, <laughs> um, it really shook me up when I was listening to this of this is not your ordinary thing and I enjoyed that yeah it it doesn't stand the test of time um, but as Tim said um, it's highly entertaining in that it, it just doesn't stop it's it's, <laughs> it's never boring I did want to piggyback in your comments that the actor who played Sandra was the only one who had a clear idea of what she wanted the story to be and was consistent throughout it and like she's the actor that made me go, as well as some of the lines, but like this is meant to be somewhat farcical. Uh, whether it's entertaining or works, that's a whole nother question. But yeah, to me, it I ended up being a little disappointed because it was so close to something that I felt I could like more if everyone had gotten on the same page with it. So close to being like an episode of the X-Files written by P.G. Woodhouse. But, <laughs> which to me would be like, yes! <laughs> Just lean into that a little harder. Uh, but uh, thank you, Chill. I always look forward to any suggestion from you because uh, it's always going to be fun to talk about. I need to amend the, this conclusion. Mm -hmm. If I went into this and you said, hey, just so you know, it's a farce. I may have had a 100% different opinion of this. I'm directing something right now that looks like this. It is a farce that has go nowhere, and it is a haunted house murder mystery <laughs> for high school kids. And it makes me laugh because it is so ridiculous, and all the tropes are there, and things mm -hmm. go nowhere, and things are introduced for no reason. And yes, 
if you can convince me that this was written as a farce, I might change my opinion 100%. Yeah, but if it doesn't communicate that, I think it is a failing in Correct. this show. Correct. And that's to... where I agree. This is where I think that it wasn't written as a farce. I think it was just terrible writing. Yeah. For once, I think your opinion is not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> just this once. <laughs> All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You will find other episodes there, maybe ones that Eric enjoyed more. <laughs> uh, it's also a great way to get a hold of us. If you have a favorite episode, you'd like I us like to some. <laughs> uh, you'll find links there to our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, the whatnot, and the hoo-ha. Uh, you can leave comments. Um, it's also a great place for information about our live shows. Yeah, you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Uh, please check it out. Um, we also have a Facebook group. We'd love you to join uh, uh, the Mysterious Old Listening Group. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I can never remember that each week. Cleverly it's, named. Uh, I should have. I'm going to change the name to something simpler. Steve. <laughs> but join Steve for some interesting discussions online about old time radio. Um, and I think that's it. Uh, and also check out our webpage, MysteriousOldRadioListeningSociety.com, which is a one-stop shop that connects you to all of these things we talked about. The Ghoulish Delights webpage, our live shows in the Twin Cities and surrounding area uh, is always updated, and everything else about us is uh, kind of a simple stop. MysteriousOldRadioListeningSociety.com. Where are we uh, going next? It's your choice, Eric, oh, for Halloween. Right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be doing an episode, I Went Back to the Well, the CBS Radio Mystery Theater's version of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Until then... Look out! If you'd only relax, Detective Hodges, and go away, we'd catch the ghost for you.